I caught online that uh, Syria's foreign minister, Walid Ma'alim, uh, died. And uh, the memories of him, um, you know, I uh, sort of, I shelved them, I think. And then uh, they just, uh, they came back to me. I, uh, I met him. I met him several times when, uh, when my family was living at the Lebanese embassy in, in Washington, D.C. And my father was uh, the ambassador of Lebanon to the U.S. from 1997 until 1999, sort of a, a little bit into 2000. But uh, this, is, um, this is after living in Lebanon for several years. And moving back to the U.S. at the age of uh, the age of 15, 16, and uh, I mean, I had nothing to do with uh, the embassy lifestyle. And uh, I mean, this is me, it's really. A uh, I, if anything, I'm the odd man out and that the odd boy out in that situation. I had no desire to have a. Uh, a sort of uh, a diplomatic lifestyle so no diplomatic plates I had a standard license plate um, I never had that uh, that IRS exemption tax exemption uh, card when I would buy things um, I liked my windows my car windows not being tinted or anything like that and I grew up childhood in the US suburban lifestyle public schools for me the uh, the uh, the elegance if you will about living in an embassy it, it didn't didn't matter to me and also I was young and I just had no curiosity about it so the reason I'm mentioning this is because my memories of my first memory of Walid Muhalim is in that sort of uh, in that context it's the uh, it's Lebanon's Independence Day 1997 and it's there's a row of uh, guests coming into the ambassador's residence it's it's a party and um, I had to be there sort of the family is meant to sort of introduce themselves at the entrance and shake hands with everyone coming in I was a bit uh, I was problematic Rather than just simply standing at the door and shaking hands, uh, I thought I would take advantage of the situation and uh, disguise myself as a uh, as a coat check person with a little stopwatch and, a, and like a, a counter, and I was you know hanging coats from visiting dignitaries and and diplomats and whoever was coming for the Independence Day. And it just it sort of, it was fun. I, I was getting tipped, making money. And, you know, you'd get $5 tip, $10 tip, and I was sort of, I was pocketing a lot of money. And I shouldn't have been doing this. And there, there were people meant to do that work, and I sort of interfered and took over. And I was very good. I was very quick. And I think they were having fun too, sort of. Maybe they weren't enjoying the fact that they weren't getting tipped as much as they should, but they were definitely happy that they weren't working when they should be. And it was, for me, it was it was just sort of, it was fun to be a bit mischievous and, and make some pocket money. 
And I remember two people. The two, I guess, the people that stuck out. They both happened to be, I think, the largest people who were entering the embassy, the residence. Sort of uh, physically big. Uh, the first was Ted Kennedy. And uh, shook hands with him. He introduced me to, uh, I believe, his son. And uh, we spoke for a few minutes. And he must have not caught the fact that I was the coat check guy when we were talking because he gave me a generous tip. And I mentioned to him while talking, I was like, you know, thank you for that for that $20 bill. And he had no idea what I was talking about. And I was like, ah, you, you gave me your coat to check in. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you do? Oh, right. And he just didn't know what to make of it. And he said, well, money well earned and sort of said goodbye. Uh, but that was that was Ted Kennedy, and that was sort of the interaction I expected, maybe, from uh, from somebody that would think otherwise. Like, what the hell is this guy doing? Co-checking and then being an ambassador's son at the same time. The other person is Walid Ma'alim. Uh, I think larger than Ted Kennedy. Really, really a big guy. Very, very big, bulky guy. Um... I was a bit spoiled with all the tips coming in and he shows up, he walks up to the, the door, there's a few steps before you reach the, the main door. I'm there, eager to take his, his coat and, and get, get a tip. He, um, I mean, this is, this is my recollection of it. He takes off his coat and just sort of pushes it towards me, just sort of, you know, here, take this. and pushes his way into the door I mean it's funny it's almost like this is my embassy get out of the way I'm, I'm, I mean I'm exaggerating a bit but there was no tip and uh, it was very very sort of it was like a bullish move just you know pushing his way in you know I've seen I've seen images like this in Donald Trump when he wants to be at the front or when he's sort of uh, that kind of, uh, there's an aggression in the sort of, uh, I'm the star, my turn, or, or me, 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 and he had that kind of thing, except, you know, no tip. So that's what I remembered mostly was that, oh, this guy didn't tip. I had no idea who he was. I had no clue that this was Syria's ambassador to Washington, D.C. And the only reason I made the connection was later that evening, I'm also being introduced to Walid Ma'lim. And uh, this is my father introducing me to Syria's ambassador. And I look at him and he looks at me. He clearly had no, he had no memory that, you know, it's the same guy. So I decided to tell him. I was like, uh, yeah, you know, the, uh, a lot of people tip for the coat check, but, um, you know, you decided not to. I guess that's, uh, you know. That's okay, though, because I'm enjoying the job. And I was stumbling. And my father looked at me. He's like, what the hell are you talking about? And then the, the Walid Ma'alim, I think he, he immediately realized it. And he's like, hey, mazboot, mazboot. And I, was, I, told, I told him, yeah, yeah, I was outside. You didn't tip me. My father sort of like grabbed me. And I, I, I got in trouble. He's like, 
the hell are you doing? You don't do code check and then, you know, show up inside and be an ambassador's son. You have to choose. You're either the code check guy or the ambassador's son. I told him, well, I, uh, for better or worse, I'm both tonight. And he just sort of scolded me, but he's like, you know, don't do that. And uh, I stopped doing the code check. But uh, it was fun. It was fun sort of putting him on the spot and embarrassing him a bit. But I was doing this as a 16-year-old, again, a bit of a like a playful mischief. But that's that's the first encounter with Walid Ma'allim. The, the other one, or maybe the two other times I met him, uh, there was no sort of, uh, there was no banter. He, uh, I walked into the residence. I was going upstairs to the bedroom and the living room or the main the main living rooms on the right and i saw him uh talking to my father the back of my father's head and he looked extremely uh agitated and uh this was very late at night and it was a bit odd i remember that it was strange that he was uh, he was there and this is towards the end of our stay at the embassy and uh, my father submitted his resignation when Emil Lahoud became president. Um, so there was, we were out of the embassy by 2000. But this is in the, in the months leading up to Israel's withdrawal from South Lebanon. And Ahud Barak, prime minister of Israel, is openly discussing Israel's departure from Lebanon. Or at least the, the desire to leave. And Israeli battles with Hezbollah, Israeli soldiers getting killed you know, every month, and there was just there, there was domestic pressure in Israel for the Israelis to to withdraw. And Walid Malim would show up, and he would uh, have very tense conversations late at night. And this is in the ambassador's residence, so not at the embassy, but in the residence. And I sort of was coming home late at night. I, I walk in, the bedrooms are upstairs, and to the right was the, the main living room. And I could see Walid Ma'allim sort of staring at my father, rather tense glare. And I saw my father's head, the backside of his head. And there was obviously a very, there's a difficult conversation happening. And um, the next time I saw him was in a similar sort of similar setting, except, uh, I mean, it was a, maybe a slightly friendlier exchange because he, Walid Ma'allim, sort of uh, stood up and saw me and sort of summoned me in a way to come over and sort of suggested that I should be friends with his son. And I, had, I think I met his son maybe at one of these functions, at the embassy functions, but I just didn't see, I didn't see a way to be friendly with that kind of person, sort of, uh, he was a teenager like me, but would sort of, he had a bit of a, a flashy tendency, and I remember this sort of like, the tinted windows, wanting to hang out in very expensive places in, in, in Georgetown, and sort of a place where if you're 16, 17, 18, doesn't make sense to go there but it's just money spending a lot of money and uh i think a lot of it had to do with just you know the ambassadors know each other and it's a difficult relationship between syria and lebanon 
and uh, the sons should sort of be friends and is very awkward sort of uh, almost like a soft pressure it's just you, you need to be friends with my son I never never had friendship with him may have met him once or twice only at the residence but uh, but that sort of very tense atmosphere and the reason I mean I the conversations I had with my father afterwards about those moments it, it sort of put it in perspective the Syrians were deeply frustrated that the Israelis were leaving South Lebanon and unable to sort of justify their own presence in Lebanon and in a way desperate to to legitimize the situation occupying Lebanon and also legitimizing Hezbollah's story, its narrative, keeping weapons outside of the state, outside of state control. So, in other words, the fear that Israel would leave and then suddenly there'd be pressure to have a sort of semi-normal country again, one army, one government, the like, the Syrians and sort of back then, Hezbollah was more, was more under their thumb. Um, sort of legitimizing the abnormal, multiple armies, multiple sub-state sort of groups, and then in particular Hezbollah would sort of uh, become much bigger. But that kind, of, that kind of absurd perspective to legitimize multiple armies and militia once the Israelis go. And this is before Shaba became sort of a common lexicon or before Ghajar became sort of a news item this is just uh, how do you how do you keep control of Lebanon in a comfortable way after the Israelis leave South Lebanon so it was very odd the Syrians were very upset that the Israelis were leaving anyway and that's the last time I saw Walid Malim three years ago I think two or three years ago yeah, it must have been either 2017 or 18. Uh, he uh, He's rushed to AUH in Beirut from Syria. He's sick or he's he needs surgery or something. And he's in he's having a operation in AUH. And I remember just walking by AUH when it was known that he was in Lebanon, in Beirut, seeking treatment and just I remember looking up at AUH and wondering what would it be like if I sort of defied security and found my way into his room and sort of uh, said things to him that uh, I don't think you, you could easily say with the entourage next to him and all the security I would have been I would have been dealt with but um, but no I I think I'm only sharing this because it's, uh, it shows just how much time has passed that uh, someone like Walid Ma'allim who for many years served as the ambassador to Washington Syrian ambassador who then became Syria's foreign minister for some 13-14 years dies of natural causes and uh he managed to live a full life. He managed to 
to to stay in, in relative power. I don't know how much actual power this man had. My guess is he didn't have much. Uh, my understanding of the Syrian regime is that he is going to be remembered as one of the least important figures in, uh, in the regime's uh, whatever story. But he was a quote-unquote friendly face, I guess, for the regime from the majority community and uh, could talk to the West, whatever that means. And uh, yeah, he dies of natural causes. But uh, so many people along the way have been killed by the uh, by the most uh, vicious regime um, in our neighborhood. So that's uh, that's my sort of short and very quick uh, reflection on learning of Walid Malim's passing. Thank you.